0: On this edition of Kiwi Tripsters, celebrating our capitals We delve into the hidden gems of Wellington, we trawl some time-honoured neighbourhoods and we take a ride on the Rimutaka Rail Trail Plus we cross the ditch to highlight some must-sees in Canberra Welcome back to Kiwi Tripsters Buckle up and take off to spectacular destinations as we continue our journey and share the inside word on all things travel. Whether it's luxury travel or backpacking on a budget, whether it's cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an amazing travel experience. And now, over to your hosts, Mike Yardley and Chris Lynch.
1: Welcome aboard, Kiwi Tripsters. I'm Chris Lynch.
0: I'm Mike Yarby. Good to be with you. Good to see you, Mike.
1: Now, it's all about the capitals at the moment on this edition as we showcase some great holiday pursuits
0: in Wellington and Canberra. Yes, we all love Wellington, but I think Canberra gets um, a very unfair rap. A lot of people think it's a bit of a man-made snore fest, so we are going to challenge that perception today, Chris. Don't mind man-made concrete
1: jungles, I really don't, but, <laughs> but first up, let's look at Wellington. So much to do there, particularly the planned European settlement to have a look at, but Tony, uh, the harbour view from the foreshore, it is pretty special,
0: Mike. I love it. I think it is one of Wellington's greatest views, particularly if you strike a bluebird day, you stand on that foreshore, you've got that dazzling panorama across the harbour to the city's skyscrapers and out to Mount Victoria, and I love the sense of history there, Chris, because it was here that our first planned European settlers came ashore in January 1840, spilling off the Aurora ship from the New Zealand Company, and it must have been such a wild time because Awa chiefs they were there to welcome the new arrivals, and their great chief Tapuni actually supplied the new settlers with food, even helped build their houses for them. Um, but if, um, it's been quite a tough time over the years in Potoni. and early on, it was earthquakes and floods that took their toll and saw many of those early settlers start afresh and in Thorndon. Good shoreline eats though, Mike. There is, and there's a lot of buzz about a place called Seashore Cabaret. It's the little sister of the Maranui Surf Life Saving Cafe at Lyle Bay, um, conceived by the same folk. And like Maranui, the decor inside Seashore Cabaret, it's like this playful retro fiesta, lots of colourful tiled walls, vintage style uh, signage and old-school pinball machines, which are always good fun. Um, lots of in-store novelties as well on this cabaret. For example, every fourth Sunday, they hold tarot card reading sessions. Now we're talking. Uh, yeah, I thought that would be you, Chris. Um, and food-wise, lots of Kiwi classics. They have two-for-one burger nights. I had um, a Kawakawa fish burger. It was so good. It was stuffed with fennel and cucumber and pickled onion and tartar sauce. But most importantly, though, did you get your tarot cards read? Unfortunately, Fortunately not. It wasn't a Sunday, so I'll have to return. Uh, there is a settlers' museum there too, which is supposed to be quite good. Did you check that out? It's really good, Chris. It um, is housed in the former bathing pavilion right on the foreshore at Petoni. and it's like this little repository of nation-building history. So they've got a really good display dedicated to Tiata Awa chiefs like Tapuni, and a replica of the steerage cabin from the Aurora ship, and you realise just how gruelling those conditions would have been in steerage. But what really impresses is the museum does a really good job showcasing the plethora of factories that took shape in Petoni only to close. So mm. you've got like car assembly plants, woolen mills, meatworks, tobacco factories, toothpaste and soap factories. <laughs> and the convulsive effect of those factory closures in subsequent decades has really been like a hammer blow to Patoni's Fortunes. Um, so you really do get a sense of that. By the way, there's a really cool exhibition on there called Hatmosphere. And this is all about Hills Hats, which is a Patoni powerhouse. And their client base is amazing. They supply all of the hats to the New Zealand police, the Defence Force, the All Blacks, and then musicians like Fat Freddy's Drop and Lady Six. So it's a really cool it's exhibition. Cool. Yeah. Uh, how impressive, though, is Jackson Street? Well, I reckon this is the jewel of Petone, Chris. Uh, this heritage precinct. When I was living in Wellington back in the nineties, it was a dump, Jackson Street. It was like a dishevelled, down at heel dump. And its revival over the last twenty years or so has been sparkling. You would struggle to find a more irresistible street than Jackson Street in New Zealand. Um, And it's such a distinctly unique retail experience as well because they've got so many independents like Hills hats and knobs and knockers and the full length of the street is flanked with low-rise heritage buildings. They are all governed by a very restrictive colour palette and then lots of little nuggets like the Victorian-era police station and jail museum. But it's the Happy Bellies, the grand procession of eateries that really serves up the eye candy. Speaking of serving, any food stop favourites? Well, there are so many, Chris, because across Jackson Street's 800 metres, you have got the crush of 72 eateries to pick and choose from. And apparently only Ponsonby Road has more eateries when it comes to a street in New Zealand. And Ponsonby Road's actually twice as long. Uh, than Jackson Street. So it sort of reinforces what a crush of choice you have at Jackson. Um, It's like a world on a plate. So many ethnic cuisines to titillate all palettes and some really cool specialty stores. This is what stood out for me. I loved the Dutch shop. So, for example, if you're a fan of those proper spicy windsmill biscuits this is the place to go for the real deal they call them speculars uh, they've got really good salty licorice at the Dutch, uh, the Dutch shop as well um, my favourite place of all though would have to be entrees now this is like a deli styled shop headed up by Stephen and Veldin Schechter they began it with a desire to actually cater to South African expats about 20 years ago but since since then the repertoire uh, just keeps evolving. So it's now totally global. You can buy the most crazy stuff here. For example, Persian candy floss uh, called Peshmek. Dolce Delice from Argentina. Um, but the best thing of all, you've got to rip, rip, uh, wrap your lips around a Reuben sandwich, Schecter's Reuben sandwich. It's this grand assembly of New York pastrami, sauerkraut, Swiss cheese, pickle lily, duck, fat, spread. It's in a toasted sourdough caraway rye with a big fat sour pickle on top. Nebraska could not beat it. It's the sandwich of pure joy.
1: You're with Kiwi tripters as we continue to roam New Zealand's capital, Wellington, and its great neighbourhoods. We talked about the history of Batoni. What about
0: Thorndon? Yeah, well, I struck out on a suburban safari um, into Thorndon, and it's such a distinctive neighbourhood because it's huddled between the hills and the harbour. Thorndon feels like a page from the past, you know? It's the sort of place where history slaps you in the face at every turn. And I popped into the National Library uh, to peruse which is a permanent exhibition of the iconic constitutional documents that shaped our nation. So in the document room, you can see the original Treaty of Waitangi, the Women's Suffrage Petition, this big scroll, um, and it is just fabulous. I definitely recommend popping into Old St Paul's, which is the most perfect Christmas card church, a real old Gothic heart stealer, all wooden with magnificent stained glass windows. Sounds very nice. What about the pubs? There's some great pubs around there. Yeah, there is. Across the road from Old St Pauls and Mulgrove Street, um, there is this fabulous tavern called the Thistle Inn. And this is a real colonial survivor, one of the nation's oldest taverns, because it was established in 1840. 1840? Incredible, eh? Um, They had a fire, so it was rebuilt 25 years later. And prior to the land reclamation in Wellington, the sea would actually lap at the Thistle Inn's front door. So it was right on the beach front. And it's claimed that Taropraha, who was very partial to rum, would beach his waka on the foreshore outside the pub to wet his whistle in the thistle. Um, another historic, <laughs> as you do. You're proud of that. Another historic regular was Catherine Mansfield, and she actually wrote about the thistle in one of her stories. But it's this beautiful timbered pub with a roaring fire, really good gastro pub fare. By the way, I should mention also the backbench because it's very well known in Thornton right across the road from Parliament. So if you've never been, it's definitely worth checking out the backbencher. They've got great cartoons and puppets inspired by the politicians, obviously. Um, and their menu is like a very witty um, showcase of political persuasion. So you could have a Jay Collins pork belly for lunch, Chris, or an A Little Crispy Duck breast. You certainly can't go wrong with a Tory tasting plate. That sounds good.
1: That we've won probably one of the most famous pubs in New Zealand. I'd say it? so, yeah. What about
0: uh Tenakuri Road? Yeah, I love this main street of Thorndon because it's all about gorgeous old villas and mm. cottages, and they're all festooned in heritage roses. It reaches right back to Wellington's European mm. settlement. Very Some quaint. of those cottages are where the people who arrived in Petone sort of up to sticks and relocated. Um, and they've got these bronze plaques from the Thorndon Society emblazoning the uh, the fences of a lot of these cottages, as you walk along Tinnakori Road, and they give you a little bit of the backstory of who built the house and and who lived in there. Um, but obviously, the most famous house of all in Tinnakori Road would be the Catherine Mansfield House. So this is her birthplace in 1888, and the house and the garden has just been so impeccably maintained. This beautiful Victorian house. What about dinner in Thornton? Well, I would say go to Daisy's. Dime Daisy's. At Daisy's, yeah. Now, this is barely a year old, this place, um, and it took over from what used to be the Tenakori Bistro. So the restaurant's been revamped, and it serves a modern take on Kiwiana comfort food with classic dishes like uh, creamed pawa on toast or slow-roast lamb and mint jelly. Yeah, The most ordered item is steak frites, which was – apparently um, the thing to have when it was the Tenakori Bistro. But the whole restaurant now is like this nod to Aunt Daisy, the broadcasting legend. Oh, of course. So it's sort of like a very snuggly dining room, very homely furnishings, a really nice atmos. Um, And you can bring your own wine there for a corkage charge. Just ahead, we take a ride on the Rimutaka Rail Trail and we
1: cross the ditch, as we often do, to chat about Australia's capital city. Stay with us. You're with Kiwi Trifters. I'm Chris Lynch. Now, let's head to the top of the Hutt Valley. Mike, tell us about Brewtown, uh, which is, well,
0: it's changing. It's the perception of Upper Hutt, isn't it? Absolutely. It's not a stretch to suggest... It has become the talk of the Hutt Valley Brewtown and it's an amazing backstory because it's based on what was the old Dunlop tyre factory and it's been transformed into this hospitality and entertainment hub. One of our most successful craft beer brands. Panhead. They were the first brewery to establish themselves on the site. And now there's half a dozen producers uh, that you can choose from places like Boneface Brewing and Keruru Brewing. And they've also got a new whiskey distillery at Brewtown called Wild Kiwi. Um, their whiskey is still maturing in the barrel. So in the meantime, you can graze from over 100 international whiskies they have at the bar from all over the world. How many did you get through? <clears throat> Just a couple, Chris. Okay. Very responsible. There's
1: plenty of thing out. There's a lot of other things to do apart from drinking a hundred different whiskies, isn't there? <laughs>
0: there is. Um, it's okay, m- almost an amusement park, isn't it? Well, that's how it's becoming. Absolutely. Um, very family friendly. Mm. And this is the thing about Brewtown. They did not want it to become a booze barn. So they've now got over thirty five businesses on site, uh, and many of the entertainment enticements are very much pitched at families. Uh, Daytona Raceway have moved their big go-kart track and ice skating rink into the gates of Brewtown. Uh, There's a Tempin Bowling Alley. There's this fantastic, enormously-sized trampoline park and even an indoor paintball field. So when I visited there on a Saturday night a couple of weeks ago, the place was absolutely pumping. I reckon there were thousands of people there on a Saturday night. Definitely worth a visit. Uh, What about the good food in Upper Hutt. So we've all done the, we've done the booze. Let's do the yes. food. Go on. I know you want to talk about food. Well, a really nice place. And I reckon this has got Chris, Chris Lynch's name all over it. Yes. It's a place called Aston Norwood. Keep going. Sounds very posh, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And it's all about the gardens and the cafe at Aston Norwood. A lot of people go to get married at Aston Norwood. It's like a very popular wedding venue. Um, I was there for the late autumn blaze. So uh, that was just gorgeous. But it's also a really popular place to go in spring. They've got 400 cherry blossom trees there, Chris. So very Insta-friendly, this place. Um, It's very close to Rivendell, which was a city in the Lord of the Rings, right? So their cafe menu sort of leverages off that with um, a Middle Earth theme. They do this amazing Middle Earth breakfast, which is just the most lavish pile of goodness, uh, that's definitely worth checking out um, as, a, as a weekend brunch spot. I was going to say no Ewoks were harmed in the making of that, but not
1: Ewoks, <laughs> what are they? Um, Hobbits. Thank you. Uh, Ewoks is Star Wars, yeah, isn't I know. it?
0: Yeah, it's different ma- movie.
1: And better. Yeah. Uh, personal opinion. Now, is this all close to the Rimutaka Incline Trail? It is.
0: Now, I headed up to the Kotoki Summit, which is about two minutes from Aston Norwood in Upper Hutt, and that's the starting point uh, for the Rimutaka Incline Rail Trail. This is a blockbuster trail. It's an absolute heritage heavyweight because what you're doing is you are riding the route of the old railway, including that outrageously steep incline that hauled trains up and down the Tuckers from Featherstone. The thing which is amazing, Chris, is if you do it from Upper Hutt, it is such an easy ride because you are already really high up in the Tuckers from the Kaitoki starting point. So it's quite a flat ride uh, to the summit and you go through lots of tunnels and across gnarly old bridges. And without wishing to sound virtuous, as much as I love an e-bike, I actually went old school and knocked off this 18-kilometer track on an old-fashioned standard Mountain bike, no, Chris? No, did Yes. So and therefore, was it tough going? No. And this is what really was the most enjoyable aspect to it. It was such a breeze um, because, as I mentioned, uh, yeah, the trailhead at Kaitoki is already very high up. So it's a very gradual gradient to reach the Rimataka summit. And then you've got the downhill thrill ride as you barrel down the Rimataka incline to Cross Creek by Featherston. And the gradient is 1 in 15. Um, so it is like a downhill slalom. You are just constantly on your brakes as you go down the incline. And then you get a shuttle back from the wider upper side uh, back to Kaitoki and Upper Hut. It's a gobsmacking rail trail. Uh, lots of families were doing it when I was out there. Um, it's a must do. Finally,
1: on this edition of Kiwi Tripsters, Mike, let's cross to the Tasman now and talk about Australia's national capital, Canberra. It often gets a bit of a bad rap, but um, is that bad rap actually
0: deserved, though? Well, I look so right when I see it on the news, on Sky News. It looks all right. It doesn't look that bad. Yeah, I mean, it's very man-made, and I think that's what perhaps turns some people off. They think, oh, it's all so artificial. Um And, I mean, I love the big cities of Australia, admittedly. Mm. You know, your Sydneys and your Melbournes, a bit like you, Chris. They're fabulous, all that verve and swank. Mm. Um, So, yeah, previously, when I first went to Canberra, I thought it was quite dull in comparison. But on my last visit to Canberra, which was just before COVID, I came away with a newfound respect for its creation because it was an absolute planned city by Burley Griffin. Okay, and is that a good thing though? Well, I think so, because if you go up to the Mount Ainsley Lookout, it is a revelation in the fact that Walter Burley Griffin's winning entry in the global competition to design the capital becomes all very self-explanatory from that lookout because his wife was a very handy artist with the paintbrush and she absolutely nailed the essence of the landscape from that Mount Ainsley Lookout position and, um, And um, so it was like a husband and wife team that worked out the master plan for Canberra. And from that lookout, Mount Hainsley, you look out across Canberra and you can see how they sort of envisaged it as like a natural amphitheatre, sort of like a grand theatre where you've got the mountains forming the top uh, top galleries, the hillside slopes and the man-made lake representing the auditorium and the wider basin, which they call the Malonglo Basin, serving as the central city stage. So, yeah, I I think if you go to the Mount Ainsley Lookout, you'll see what they were sort of like trying to create with their master plan for Canberra. But I tell you what, the best way to get... Um, You fix on Canberra, hoist yourself high at sunrise on a hot air balloon flight.
1: I don't know if I could do that. They scare me anyway. Really?
0: Yeah. Weren't the the Burley Griffins from Chicago? They were. They were both architects out of the Frank Lloyd Wright Prairie School. And when you look at their paintings at the lookout, it's incredible how the Canberra we see today is still actually so true to their vision of it a century ago. The amazing thing is they never actually set foot in Australia, let alone Canberra, when they submitted their winning entry in this global design competition. Did you do some embassy snooping around? I did. I think this is such a cool thing. Uh, When I was last in Canberra, Parliament wasn't sitting, so I couldn't see the circus of the politicians firsthand. But I did some embassy snooping, and it is quite amusing because it is like an architectural beauty contest. There's a lot of one-upmanship, far more ostentatious than, for example, looking at the embassies in Wellington. The Chinese embassy in Canberra looks like something out of a Ming Dynasty temple complex. It is just so over the top. The American embassy is quite amazing. Um, A lot of the Asian embassies are beautiful, like the Thai Mm. embassy. It's just, oh my goodness, so exquisite. So you, you just mooch around the streets, close to Parliament Hill, and you do see some amazing embassies. I would have to say though, Chris, the New Zealand High Commission, which is very close to Parliament, is a notable disgrace. It's this brutalist, sort of like cast off from Soviet-era Bucharest. It's just a disgrace. Probably a sign of things to come. Hmm. I digress. What's the museum seem like? Well, I think this really is the highlight of Canberra. Check out the museums. The Australian War Memorial is my all-time favourite. It's beautiful and it's so insightful. You'll probably want to give the Parliamentary Museum of Democracy the wide berth. I found that the most unbelievable snore fest. But I absolutely <laughs> loved the National Museum of Australia. If there's one reason to go to Canberra, this is it. And it's interesting that they took their design cue from Te Papa, so it's very informal. It's got a real mass market sort of appeal. It's not snobby. And they do a guided highlights tour, which is a great way to get a quick dip with some of their greatest hits. Any
1: particular eye grabbers? Obviously, the Parliamentary Museum wasn't one of them. No, indeed.
0: Well, at the Australian Museum, the National Museum of Australia, what I loved is what they call the First Australians Gallery. And it's like this hit parade of... Famous moments, notorious moments in Australian history. So in the gallery, you'll see the Holden prototype from 1946. You'll see Azaria Chamberlain's black dress. Now, this is the dress that prompted speculation that Lindy always dressed her baby in black uh, because she was evil. Um, The entire Chamberlain collection there, it's quite controversial, but it's so compelling. Did you see the dingo? No, I didn't see the dingo there. Okay. Um, I think they're still trying to find it, are they not? I was particularly excited, Chris, to clap eyes on Farlap's heart, one and a half times heavier than the average horse's heart. It's enormous. And testing on that heart indeed confirmed he had been poisoned with arsenic prior to dying in the United States. So, yep, the heart is in the museum. Um it's actually the most requested object visitors to the museum want really? to see. It's a bit odd. It is. By the way, outside in the forecourt, don't miss the Garden of Australian Dreams. Now, this is a symbolic landscape where every footstep you take is the equivalent of travelling 100 kilometres across the Australian heartland. I thought that was quite cool. Thank you. Didn't Lonely
1: Planet recently rate Canberra as one of the world's top city, so somebody must be
0: onto something. They did. This was just a couple of years ago, and it did raise a lot of eyebrows at the time. It's actually what prompted me to go back to Canberra just before COVID, and I reckon the reason they did it um, is because of Canberra's flourishing foodie scene, and they've got these buzzy new precincts in Canberra, which are reshaping the city's reputation. My favourite is a neighbourhood they call New Acton, and it's been transformed with amazing street art, masterpiece architecture. Um, There is this building which I love and they call it the Nishi Building and it looks like a forest of vertical gardens. And it's also home to the most Instagrammed staircase in Australia as if an old sailing ship has blown itself apart with thousands of wooden beams flying straight at you. If you Google grand stair, Canberra, you'll get an idea. It's now housed inside what they call the Avolo Nishi Hotel.
1: Okay. Take me just finally to some tasty bites,
0: please, before we go. I'm going straight to the dessert, Chris. Canberra does great desserts. Good. Two amazing stops. A place called Frugeli, which is all about ice cream alchemy. Wacky and wonderful things with ice cream. Um, And... (laughs) I also checked out a place called Patize, who do these amazing calorie-busting freak shakes. They're like a cross between a milkshake and a chocolate sundae with wickedly dressed delicious trimmings. Um, By the way, nestled on the city's uh, edge, the city centre's edge, Braddon is also another uh, buzzy trendy new precinct uh, lots of contemporary cool fashion edgy retail and a lot of funky dining in lonsdale So you go
1: it's not as bad as we all thought well that's it for now be sure to like us on our facebook page and show notes particularly of today's show are available on the website at kiwitripsters.co.nz we would love you to race and review kiwi tripsters on the podcast service of your choice and we'll catch you again a couple of weeks time actually for the launch edition of season three of kiwi tripsters It's all about winter indulgence in Canterbury. Join us for season three at the end of June.
0: And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to?